Rules. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Festival Rules. I'm Josh Horowitz. And I'm Ben Lyons. Thank you for downloading, rating, reviewing, subscribing. All of our friends over at Action Park Media, Geico, and Medterra, we are having a wonderful Sundance. And anytime comedy comes out here, when it's good comedy especially, but anytime comedy comes out here, it gets everyone excited because so many of the films, while beautiful and artistic and powering can be a gut punch. Well, yeah, and also, not to mention, look, we talked in an earlier episode of the real-life events going on. We saw this mm. movie, Palm Springs, uh, on a day and a time when I think we needed it. Absolutely, Josh. So well said. I find that film connects to you at the right time in your life, and I needed a laugh, as we all did, and Palm Springs gave us many laughs. The movie's crazy. It's great. This is, this is one of my favorites, if not my favorite, of the festival, and uh, a lot of people agree with me. This is uh, the latest from Andy Samberg, uh, Kristen Milioti. You, you can hear their conversation, the crazy conversation we had with them uh, on an earlier episode. Uh, this is... So basically, the setup is this: they are uh, there's a wedding going on in Palm Springs. Kristen Milioti is the maid of honor. Andy Samberg is this kind of uh, uh, nihilist named Niles who seems to not give a crap about anything. Very you start funny to character. Be a little confused by him because he's dressed in a bathing suit and a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt at the wedding, drinking beers, and it starts to not make sense. Right? I don't know. Do we do, do we reveal how much of a twist? Let's let's just say there's a major twist early on. Again, the Sundance movie became, becomes a very high concept sort of a film. It is not what you think it is and becomes both very clever and profound and romantic and just also super freaking funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny and it's sold for a ton of money out here, breaking the record at Sundance for an acquisition. Uh, there was a joint announcement on Monday from Hulu and indie distributor Neon confirming that the comedy sold for $17 million. <laughs> Seventeen and a half million and sixty nine cents. Now, why? Why the extra sixty nine cents to make it the highest selling film ever out of Sundance, passing Birth of a Nation, which Fox Searchlight bought uh, bought back in two thousand sixteen for seventeen and a half million. That's amazing. So, um, yeah, this is uh, you know you never know. There have been there are many stories. Here's here's the quote from the Lonely Island team. We spent over $85 million of our own money on this movie. We are taking a bath on this deal. We hope Neon and Hulu are happy, but we definitely have a lot of explaining to do to our families, said <laughs> producers Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, and Yorma, and Becky Slavita. That's so good. It's so good. Uh, you guys are going to dig this one when it comes to theaters later this year. Um, as for our conversations, we got two for you guys on this episode. A little bit later on, uh, one of my favorite British actors, I never had a chance to talk to this guy. Uh, and it was a real treat. He's starring in Surge here. Ben Wishaw, you probably know him from the James Bond movies. Ben knows him as the voice of Paddington. Oh, I was a little starstruck when I saw Paddington in the flesh. It was like the time my dad took me to Sesame Street on ice, took me backstage to introduce me to the Count, and the actor playing the Count had his head on the table smoking a cigarette. Whoa. And it was like, whoa. You have not is, been the same since. I have not been the same. I didn't want to <laughs> have that happen to me again with the voice of Paddington there. Oh, no. I love those Paddington uh, movies. Before we get to Ben, we had a great <laughs> chance to catch up with one of our uh, a woman we've talked to many many times over the years Allison Bree she is no stranger to Sundance uh, and in fact this is kind of a reunion for her at Sundance she collaborated with Jeff Baina a few years back on The Little Hours and now she is back with a film again directed by Jeff co-written by Jeff 
and co-written by Allison. So this is a big moment for her. The film is called Horse Girl. It is a Netflix film. Uh, it's gonna you're gonna be able to see it in just a couple weeks. Actually, it's February seventh on Netflix, uh, and it's it's an odd sort of kind of a character study where um, she plays this kind of like meek woman named Sarah who starts to question her own reality. She's kind of haunted by mental illness in her family and from her grandmother, and starts to frankly begin begins to wonder whether she in fact has the same issues that her grandmother had. It's kind of a surreal take, a surreal story, less overtly funny than The Little Hours was, but it's an intriguing, very Sundance kind of a story um, and a cool way to see Allison evolve as an actor and a filmmaker. Good good moment to point out that the festival rules uh, require you to learn the language of the festival that you're at. You interviewed someone for Spree, and you interviewed someone for Surge. There's a movie here <laughs> called Blast Beast, and there's a movie Beast, called Beast Beast. So confusing. There's a movie called Horse Girl, and there's a movie with Tony Collette about horses. This so is true. You have to <laughs> learn the language. Bench. Of the festival. That is a key festival rule. I love it. So not only did we get a chance to talk to Allison about Horse Girl, we get we, we pop by the party, which is a big one for Josh. Josh doesn't do the parties, but... That is a festival rule of mine, is to get Josh to let loose at some point. I don't know if I let loose, but I certainly watch, watch people let you loose. You watch people dance, yes. and I think for you, that was as as far as it goes. Um, but shout out to DJ um, Michelle Pesci from, the, from LA. We love her so much. And Michelle is just family, and she crushed the party last night because... Because oftentimes these industry parties for Sundance, people are schmoozing, they're networking, they're trying to chat, they're trying to talk deals, and that's fun. But sometimes you need to let loose, and we all needed to have a great time last night. You could feel the energy. Josh, you uh, subscribed to a great festival rule last night in that you left the party at the right time. I think I did, right? The perfect time. So the, the music shifted from like ironic 80s music to like <laughs> deep Wu-Tang, and Josh left right at that transition. As soon as you left, they moved the tables. And anytime the tables, oh, the, the furniture I would have jumped out the window. I would have just- started passing out desserts, though, so I was oh. bummed for you. Uh, you're the disappointment. God, you could feel that in my side, couldn't you? Um, but it was a fun time. I'm glad we uh, got a chance to go out together to a fun little event and see Allison again and congratulate her on a on a special moment for her. Uh, always good to catch up with Allison Bree. Here is our chat with the one and only. I feel great this morning. <laughs> Oh, guys, I'm telling you, when I was looking at the list, I was like, oh, great. I'm so excited to see you guys. Sit right back at you. You have a busy Sundance, Allison. Yeah, as always. As, yeah, what, if Is there not it, a busy Sundance? Somebody <laughs> yesterday was like, what do you love to do when you're in Park City? I was like, to talk about my movies and walk up and down Main Street. But in years past, we've done interviews that involve like a guitar hero or dancing. That's true. Or That's true. There's so much tomfoolery out here. No, it's true. And I certainly have been here with other projects where I'm in like one scene of a movie and I'm basically just out to have fun and get right. to like hang. This is very different this year. This one's a little different. This is So yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, excited and surprised to see that you not only have your first producing credit feature-wise. Yes, yes. That money. <laughs> 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 this one's getting a billion dollars global or it's a failure, Allison. Great. Okay, great. The stakes uh, have never been higher. <laughs> but you've also co-written this with Jeff. That's right. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about the, this process. Um, you obviously worked with Jeff on Little Hours, which was also here. Yes. And Joshi, which was also here. Right, Let's right. not forget I had a very small role at the top of Joshi, mm -hmm. not to spoil anything for anyone. Um but yeah, so that was a little taste of sort of meeting Baina, and then we worked together on The Little Hours, and that's where I really was introduced into his style of writing and directing, which is all um, 
improvised. All the dialogue is improvised. He writes long, very detailed outlines. And on The Little Hours, it was just so interesting. It's such a specific style of improvisation. It's not the loosey-goosey, sort of more like Joe Swanbergian right. uh, style of improv uh do you like how that's the good for Joe that he's he's the become one that like I the standard like bearer? Yeah. <laughs> that's the strong um, Swanbergian, Swanbergian. <laughs> because my husband Dave worked on Easy with him, and when he he would talk about improving there, it was like, gosh, then we'll just get going talking about something, then we go off on some crazy tangent, and you know, Joe's like, just go with it, and I'm like, oh, that's not how we did this at all. We have a very specific. 35 page outline and the scenes are, you know, it's a pretty complicated story and there's kind of a lot going on. So there are sometimes some key points that you have to kind of tell people, here's the gist of the scene and and put it in your own words. Yeah. But, but you are going to have to mention something about this, that, and this, there are certain plot points that we're kind of driving. And, um, you know, obviously in this case, it was great to have written it with Jeff because now I was on the inside when we were making the little hours and we were playing 14th century Italian nuns, um, but but doing like a raunchy comedy. <laughs> um, it, 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 I, many days I was like, what is this? What are we making? I have no idea. And it, it was difficult to sometimes feel like it was all in Jeff's head and we were kind of improvising, but also being like, what do you, what do you want us to say? Yeah. Um, and I mean, but still really fun. And I loved how that movie turned out. Obviously I was like, Oh great. Now I trust this guy for real. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, with this, it was really nice to be on the inside of it. He and I together having this partnership and playing the main character and really knowing her journey from the inside out and, being able to kind of, I mean, I was going to say in, in theory, it was like, we thought, Oh, I'll be able to kind of guide the improv scenes having co-written that I know where everything's supposed to go. But the character of Sarah is so shy yeah. and often says very little. <laughs> so it actually worked against us as I would really be staying in character. And the other cast members really put to task having to kind of like improv their butts off and everybody right. was super game. It was really fun. Different muscle you have to flex as an actress and combining all these different hats that you're wearing is writing and producing. And then it all comes together here at Sundance. No stranger to this festival. Nerve wracking premieres here or different or how do you feel? You took a deep breath before answering that question. <laughs> well, it's, I guess it's been a couple years. The little hours was the last time that I was here and I, I've never been here as a filmmaker, so I've never been that nervous. I remember with sleeping with other people, I was a bit nervous because that was sort of my first time as a lead, right. you know, in a film. And uh, those stakes felt very high for me personally. I wanted it to go well. But kind of almost every other year, I feel like I, as an actor, I realize now how we're so kind of... It just sort of like, oh, let's see how this goes. Hope it's not on me if it doesn't go great. And this year I'm like, it's on me. No. Um, last night we had the premiere for Promising Young Woman, which I'm in as well. Which and is I, amazing, by the way. Thank you. Oh, my awesome. God. Yeah. I loved it. I had never seen it. Yeah. So, and and it was that reminder as I was sitting in the audience and right by our all of our people that were in the film and, like, the lights are going down and there is that energy in the room and I was suddenly hit with nerves for our horse girl premiere. I was like, oh, oh yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so everybody. You're oh reminded gosh, that, oh, this is like a thing. Definitely. And especially because with this movie, it was such a special 
process to make it. And Jeff and I wrote it together so closely in the same room, typing on our computers on the same program, like so involved. It's a very personal story for me. And it's definitely the most vulnerable I think I've ever been in a performance. And, um, and then we started working with the Duplass brothers on it and everybody over there and Mel Eslin and, uh, Elena Carruthers, who Carruthers, I feel like it's pronounced Carruthers, but, um, <laughs> uh, our producers who, who work at Duplass also, they, we're all so amazing. And our crew was awesome. And everybody, it was like a total love fest every day. And this story being very strange and demanding high artistry from everyone involved. Yeah. Like it was great to get really passionate production designers and an amazing DP and people that just wanted to like, and costume designer, Beth Morgan, from, who does Glow. Um, and like, just everybody wanting to make it look and feel as magical as we wanted it to be. And we loved everyone so much. And then Netflix has been so amazing, but like, I love the movie so much. The whole process has been so meaningful and special to me that it's a strange jump then to be like, oh, and now we release you into the world. <laughs> good luck, good, good fair luck, horse girl. girl. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned that this is a personal story. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, this is a woman that's really struggling with like her sense of reality, literally Definitely. what is real and what is not. Yeah. Um, so like what headspace is poor Allison or lovely Allison <laughs> in when you decide this is the kind of character I want to create a story around? Well, um, I've had a, a real fascination with mental illness my whole life. Uh, my mother's mother, my grandmother uh, lived with paranoid schizophrenia and my mother lived with a mother with paranoid right. schizophrenia. And then I, you know, is a grandchild of a, of a person with schizophrenia. And, and you know, I, I didn't really know my grandmother, but I grew up with this mythology of her and hearing so many stories uh, about the lengths of her mental illness, the depths of them and how they affected the whole family and kind of the web of, of trauma and how it affects generations. And so thinking personally I guess it, th this movie is an artistic manifestation of my personal fear of having mental illness in my bloodline. And when I've gone through bouts of dark depression and felt like I couldn't get out of it and how terrifying that is to kind of be at odds with your own mind and like this body and this mind that we live in our DNA, it's that things that are out of our control. Sure. I, I just thought, what a scary thing. And, and what if something really terrifying was actually happening to you, but you didn't have the trust in yourself to know whether it was real or not real. And that was the true impetus for this story of me going to Jeff and saying, what if there's this woman, she has a familial history of mental illness and some strange things start happening and she herself doesn't know if they're real or not. And because of the stigma of mental illness and because of the shy nature of this character, she doesn't have the courage to really talk to people about it. And she doesn't, because she's a pretty isolated character in her life. She just doesn't have the tools to, to combat what's going on with her. Yeah. So as you lose yourself in these characters and take on challenging roles, complex roles that touch on these really serious and heavy subject matters, when you're done with the movie, are you, are you done with those emotions? Can you put them aside or how do you decompress from the roles you play. Definitely, I can put them aside. I would say I I was putting them aside constantly while we were shooting the movie. I um I I am not an actor who stays in character. I'm uh, they've said I'm no Daniel Day-Lewis. Um <laughs> You do the so, Swanbergian method. So. I I'm, I'm more Swanbergian <laughs> in my take. Um but especially on this 
being a producer and having written it and just having created it so closely with Jeff that like the whole process, obviously Jeff was directing it and, and much more on his shoulders, but it was so collaborative with he and I that I, I couldn't have stayed in this headspace of Sarah the whole time because we're talking about like actual tactical, you know what I mean? Like production things in the moment. Um, but also, I mean, I don't think I could have mentally anyway. I think it would have been really exhausting. It was kind of nice that we shot the movie in L.A. I would go home to my husband and my cat every night and kind of shake it off every night. And the other funny thing, you know, about making low-budget movies is you're not shooting in script order. So we would try to do it as much as possible, but it was really all based on our locations. You know, we would have to shoot every location out. So at every new location, we would go in script order. So basically every two to five days, I was resetting and then revving up over the next few days and then I'd come back down. And it was a real mind fuck. I couldn't say it. Like, I mean, overall, it was so... It was... (laughs) You can bleep it later. It was very intense by the... um, the, the second to last day shooting, we shot overnight in this cemetery, this big cemetery scene. Yeah. And um, it's just such an emotional peak for the character. And I pulled into the parking lot at the cemetery at like 5 p.m. to go into hair and makeup and just sat in my car for a few minutes, like listening to Mazzy Star and being like, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't know if I can do it tonight. Like, <laughs> it was, it was just thoroughly exhausting. So I did take a little break after. Yeah. It, it seems like you and Dave are on this really interesting creative journey, especially in the last couple of years. Definitely. I mean, you're, as I said, you're producing this, you've co-written this, you directed on Glow last season. And I will again in season four. Excellent. And Dave, of course, has directed his first feature that yes. you're in. That he co-wrote with Joe Swanberg. It all comes oh, back. We connected it all. To the Swanbergian method. <laughs> um, well, yes, I, I definitely think another thing, just talking about the original impetus for writing this, like a, a big part of that was watching Dave writing with Joe. Right. And I've never seen him, uh, seen him more excited about anything. And it, and it, it just sort of like, I've always wanted to write stuff in theory. You know, I, I have ideas sometimes and also... <laughs> And also, I think more and more we're told as actors, and now I find myself giving it as advice to younger actors, like, create your own content. Create your own content, man. And that's it's, like, so daunting because you're like, well, I, I want to do great work. I want to do work that's meaningful to me. And I, I think this was born out of a year where both Dave and I were feeling just a little uninspired by the things that were coming our way. And so then I watched him go through this process. It was so fulfilling and kind of thought, he could do it. I could do it. But then I was like, well, he's doing it with a friend. Like, I want to do it with a friend. And of course, Dave is always my first sounding board for like, I had this idea. Like, do you think this like could be a movie? <laughs> kind of kick it over to him in our household, in the safeness of our walls. I mean, because definitely this one in particular is something that even before I pitched it, I think it went Dave, my managers, and then Baina in the order of me talking about the idea. And my manager's always very supportive, but we're like, I don't know. I sort of specifically remember something about, you know, when I hear aliens, I just, I don't know. I start to picture 
little green men. And I, I'm not sure. Is that the kind of thing? And I was like, I got to go. I'm getting another call. I got to go by. And then I was like, girl, I know who's into aliens. Horse girl, a Jeff superhero Bana. film. <laughs> well, I was talking to someone. They were like, so horse woman is coming out. I was right. like, no, no, no. She's a girl. Not yet a woman. Oh, you should get that sound. Uh, it's, uh, probably a, a costly soundtrack to get that the rights to that yeah, we one. Don't, we didn't have any money for music. Yeah. It's all score. It's all score. <laughs> so not only are you and Dave collaborating uh, on creating art together, but you're driving around out here listening to Happy Sad Confused episodes. We definitely are. I just wanted we to make Josh embarrassed. Do. do you have a favorite from his catalog? Oh, my Why goodness. would you ask something like that? He's so That's mad at me. Favorites. You don't so have to answer that. I, I would just have to say they're all so good. They're great. Really great. How great can answer. one have a favorite? <laughs> what other podcast shows are you guys binging and watching? Oh, wow. Um, I, I definitely listen to The Armchair Expert. I listen to WTF, of course, Mark Marin. Um, You're legally bound to do that. Though. I was going to say, I've got to give the soundbite to Mark Marin. Of course, I have, for years, always my, my first love, Mark Marin's podcast. Um, I've been recently listening to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast because I listened to his audiobook talking to strangers and it was so fascinating. But the podcast, it's like information overload for me sometimes. And then I have to go back to like celebrity interviews right. when I'm driving around. I also am really into murder podcasts while we were shooting Dave's movie, The Rental. So Dave wrote and directed The Rental and and, and I acted in it and um, we shot it in Oregon. Very And like just talk about all nights almost and a house on a cliff in the middle of the woods and, you know, driving to set in the middle of the night with no lights, like unlit woods. So I was like, I'm going to listen to <laughs> the scariest of evil about the black Dahlia killer. Uh, it definitely put me in the mindset of the movie. And by the way, we shot that back to back shot that, went straight into scouting for Horse Girl and then shot wow. Horse Girl. So by the end, I definitely had to, I'm about to go do like a big fun holiday comedy. That's where my head is at. <laughs> so I, I, one of the things, I don't know if that's the one you're talking about, Happiest Season, are you yes. in that one? Yes, So this one sounds very, I mean, this is a lot of people we love. I don't know if you know about this, Ben, but Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, yep. directed by Clea Duvall. Yes. Um, I feel like that could have a place here or anywhere, uh, that cast. Oh my God, it's amazing. And also like Victor Garber, Mary Steenburgen, Aubrey Plaza, uh, Dan Levy. Like it's a, it is a phenomenal cast. It's such a funny script. Um, and it's, just, I just love it. It's a, it's a, who doesn't love a great holiday movie? Um, it centers around a gay couple, which I feel like it's time to have a studio rom-com yeah. about a gay couple. That's really exciting. And, but more, more so it's just a sweet family Christmas comedy. Nice. <laughs> no, we're, we're definitely looking forward to that. Kristen is somebody we've interviewed many times over the years, obviously out here at Sundance with stuff, but then we rode the, the Twilight Wave, so we had a lot of interaction sure. with her. What have been your conversations or your work together on this or relationship? Well, I haven't started shooting yet, so I've just been out to Pittsburgh once um, for sort of fittings and, and ice skating rehearsal. I've been doing some <laughs> ice skating lessons, I think I'm allowed to say, for a certain uh, set piece like, scene in the movie um, where we all go ice skating. Spoiler! Oh my god! Oh, um, I'm not gonna bother with this one now. I mean, I know with the main events. <laughs> but everyone is just so lovely. It's a really good vibe, and I'm. It's this trend. It's especially a trend in the work I've done this year, from Dave's movie to Horse Girl to now Clea's movie. 
that people are really enforcing a no assholes policy <laughs> and, you know, from top to tail. And it really starts with these directors and, and people who are putting the crews together of just going, yes, we want people that are the best at their craft and the best at what they do. And we feel like that can be found within a no asshole policy. And it's really true. And it makes such a difference. Even just getting there for rehearsals, the vibe was so warm. Everyone's so in such a good mood. I think everyone collectively is like psyched to do a comedy for, for even yeah. for, it's funny for me to say that. Cause obviously I've worked mostly in comedies, but this has been my year of horror thrillers. <laughs> and I'm like, so I was like, I just, I'm just really glad to get back to comedy after my long break. I want to smile for a week or two at least. Yeah. Um, so this new podcast that Ben and I are doing here is called the festival rules. And the idea is we're trying to kind of convey to folks that don't have, you know, the opportunity to go to a film festival, what it's like. Sure. And we're asking everybody what their number one rule would would be if they get the opportunity to come to Sundance, what would you advise somebody? How do they enjoy, survive the Sundance experience? What would your rule be, Allison? My number one rule would be don't drink too much, which sounds lame as a rule, but the altitude really gets to people. This is something that a lot of people don't realize. I was telling a friend of mine who is coming, was coming here for her first trip out and she's here at now. And, uh, I was just like, start with one beer, see how you feel. I, I feel like I've been one and a half beers in, and then I'm like stumbling downstairs. I don't know what's going on. Um, and then had three more beers, and you know. <laughs> the conversations we're having in the condo, Josh and I would say, Josh, just pace yourself. The altitude. Oh, yeah. You have to drink lots of water. Okay. You have to wear comfortable Hydrate, shoes. <laughs> comfortable shoes, lots of water. It's so funny. So many of the people we've had the privilege of talking to have mentioned that as their festival rule. Just like don't drink. Bear for the elements. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like you're going Rashes. to the out like outback. So the survive. Oregon yeah. Trail tell, come to life. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like make sure you have your necessities to survive. <laughs> you can tell we all live in Los Angeles. Because we're just like, oh my god, it's a war out here. Like we're it just, might dip below fifty on some harsh days. Thirty degrees, yeah. Like I know it's all survival tips. I don't know what else because the problem is I don't usually get to when you're here promoting a movie. It's it's thing thing thing, and and it's so exciting and fun to do it. Um, but you don't get to see a lot of other movies. I was just talking to a friend is out here seeing. He's going to see 10 movies on his trip. I am, I know, you guys, I mean, you guys. You guys that like, by, yeah, by the opening weekend, life. we're already in, in, in the that double digits. That is so impressive. What's your tip? What's your tip? I think it is mostly about hydrating. Survival. Because how can you stay awake for these movies if you're dehydrated? Bringing snacks. You never Always know where your snacks. next actual meal is coming. Always bring snacks. Which is actually oh, a good a rule good. for life just in general. That's how I live. My, I'm never anywhere without at least like three small packs of nuts <laughs> and like an almond butter individual size. <laughs> and yeah, my, I told you one of my festival rules, don't go out on Saturday night. It seems it seems like the obvious night to go out, but it's an absolute shit show. Definitely. So stay at home. I agree. I think we're all in agreement here. We're also in agreement that people should check out Horse Girl, February 7th on Netflix. And Promising Young Woman as well. We got a lot going on here. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Sure, check that one out too. Uh, Always good to catch up with you, Allison. Thank you for having me. Once again, that was Allison Brie. Her new film is Horse Girl. You're going to be, get a chance to see it in the comfort of your own home, February 7th. She's a Sundance vet now. She's been coming out here for years, and it's really cool to see her. Excited to come out here in a different 
in a different capacity as a, as a writer, different energy around her. Totally. Also exciting to see actors that you would think have been, are Sundance veterans yet have never been here before. And that describes our next guest, uh, Ben Wishaw. As I said earlier, uh, this is one of those guys, a consummate, brilliant actor. I've seen him on stage in New York. I've seen him in many different kinds of films. You've probably, you've definitely seen him in the Bond films as Q. You've heard him in the Paddington Bear movies. <laughs> okay, Ben. <laughs> And he's also the lead in this uh, a really interesting character study. It's funny. This is an episode about two kind of character studies of really fragile individuals. This new film, Surge, is uh, about a man kind of on the fringes. Again, a kind of a meek character who uh, doesn't have a place in the world, who reaches a breaking point and starts to kind of lash out in some ways. It follows him over 24 hours. Uh, I didn't know that the development of this came out of uh, his collaboration, Ben's collaboration with the director on a previous short. So it's kind of a labor of love for him in that he was able to kind of craft this character. Um, ben is a, is a very soft-spoken, sweet guy uh, and and one of truly one of the great actors out there. So I was thrilled to get a chance to talk to him about Surge at the NRDC Lounge. Here's my chat with Ben Wishaw. It's my distinct pleasure to uh, welcome Ben Wishaw, star of Surge, uh, to the Festival Rules podcast. Ben, it's a pleasure to meet you, sir. Pleasure to meet you, Josh. Um, So I was just saying, I'm kind of shocked by this. For a guy that has an eclectic and extensive resume as you do, this is your first Sundance. Um, Talk to me a little bit about, you must have friends, colleagues that have done this before. What were your expectations going in and what's it like to be here? Um, well, I had a film here called Lilting um, in 2013, but I couldn't come because I was doing a play at the time. And that was that was a film by a dear friend called Hong. And so I feel like I uh, somehow came here in spirit then, there but go. I wasn't physically here. Um, I think it's wonderful to be here physically this time and... It's much bigger than I thought it would be. Yes. Yeah. And it's well, it's bigger in a in a contained space, if that makes yeah. sense. Like Main Street is really only like five or six blocks, but those blocks. But still, are, it's quite substantial. Yeah. yeah. It's um no, I mean I've been coming here uh, for fourteen straight years. Wow. For work, but also because this is my passion, and it's it's you know film festivals. I I don't know about you, I really appreciate and enjoy them because at least most of the people seem to be here for the right reasons, mm. which makes a difference. Um, you know, it, you strike me as somebody that's maybe the, the press stuff isn't your favorite thing to do, but like, to, <laughs> how did you guess? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I almost think that the reverse is the psychotic behavior. If you love the press too much, that's the guy to worry about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's probably about right. So, has that been something that, as you've been in higher profile projects, has been tough to negotiate to kind of figure out how to keep your your sanity when you're in a, a global franchise like Bond? You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I moan too much about the press I have to do. <laughs> okay, we don't want you to... And no, 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 and I, I feel like, because I always, I don't enjoy it. I find it really uh, stressful, actually. It makes me very anxious. I don't know why. Huh. Um, I just, I just don't like it. <laughs> but, but it is a part of the job, and as yeah. everybody tells me, every job has a, some aspect that right. one would rather do without so you just have to get on with it yeah. and find ways to um, kind of protect yourself or something I don't know it can feel quite 
exposing yourself. Exposing, in a different, which is yeah. ironic considering your profession is all about. I mean, you're exposing so much of yourself through other characters. But I guess that's a yeah. shield in a way. I, f- I think it's a shield, and it's storytelling, and it's fiction, and it's. Um, very different feeling to me. So this film, which I congratulated you uh, on, I had a chance to check this out a little bit early. It's called Surge, and it's a very intriguing kind of character study mm. of a guy that uh, doesn't really feel he has a place in the world, perhaps, and kind of reaches a bit of a breaking point, <laughs> um, say the least. Yeah. Is that an apt description? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Is, it, is the character... The, the main draw of material like this? Is that what you're, when you're seeing the script, are you saying that's, that's worth my time? Well, with this film, um, it, it was all quite unusual because Anil, had, Anil and I had made a film, a short film together in 2013 that was called Beat, um, that was an almost wordless 11, 12 minute film. And out of that film emerged this character who... It's not exactly the character that was in the short film, but somehow related to it to him. And not long after we'd finished the uh, short film, Anil spoke to me about this character and about this story, which would involve this guy robbing a bank. And that was kind of all it was, really. And then over the years, since 2013, we've talked and... Various people have worked on the script um, and we've worked on the script and we've workshopped it and we were trying to figure out what this story was that we wanted to tell. So it was an unusual process because it was quite organic and um, I was involved in it from the beginning. It didn't just arrive... Um, that must be finished, exceptionally you know. rewarding to be to have a, a part of the process, an yeah. annual part. And it's interesting because it's funny you say that. You talk about the short and having it be mostly wordless because it struck me while watching it, it's really behavior-based. Mm. It's really watching this man go about his mundane activities, his day-to-day exactly. life. Um, and that, again, must be both a challenge and a reward for an actor to convey so much through body and yes. not, not through voice. yes. I'm quite, I'm really fascinated because most, I, one of the things, I haven't actually seen the film yet, so I, I can't <laughs> I respond <laughs> to the film, but I, I, what I loved about the script and what I loved about making it was that the character doesn't, the character doesn't have a moment of, of marvellous articulacy as most characters do in most things when suddenly they're able to express their dilemma or their problem or whatever it is that's troubling them it he's experiencing something that he can't find words for yes um so i'm in yeah i i it was a challenge because uh as you say it's hard to know how to um how do you take an audience on the journey when when there is so little verbal but I hope, fingers crossed, that it, it has a kind of some kind of energy that um, keeps you held. Well, yeah, I mean, it takes place in a very finite period of time. Yes, that helps it. It terms, yeah. yes, you're on the journey, and for good or for bad, you're in his shoes, and they're, t- <laughs> they're tough shoes to be in. He's, you know, it's interesting because, and this is gonna, I, I'm sure other people are gonna bring this up, and I don't know if it's an apt comparison or not. It reminds me a little bit of seeing Joker recently. Have yeah. people already brought this up? Um, not to me, because I've only started... You're the first person, really, I've spoken to about the film, but yeah. I, I, 
Well, actually, I think um, Lizzie Franca, who, who's one of the producers from the BFI, she she even re- referenced the Joker. Yeah. But it's a kind of anti. It's a kind of flip side of the Joker, and yes. that he's not. Um, well, he certainly doesn't want to be a performer. He certainly has no. That's right, and he's not a superhero, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not. Um, he's not violent. Right. Um, although he's put into situations where violence arises. Yeah. Um, yeah, but sorry, what was your... No, what were you, you, I, I, it, it just what, occurred to It just you occurred to me. It was just something to, to observe. But yeah. I mean, but I guess also maybe maybe both of these films are exploring what it is to, uh, to be a man in 2020, exploring sure. masculinity. We hear all these conversations about quote-unquote toxic masculinity, etc. Is that something that you and Anil discussed in crafting this character? I think early on, when we were talking about the film, that's what I thought it would be about. But more and more... It, I mean, of course it's there, and, you, and I think if that's what people see in it, then that's what people see in it. But it wasn't really something that we talked about very much at all. I think we saw it as something more universal, and it, it being more to do with a kind of emotional state that I think Anil has felt is quite prevalent of a certain numbness, a certain sort of inability to feel to to to, to, to uh, living constantly with a sense of appalling dread yeah, yes. <laughs> for no good reason that you can really understand you know you've got a job you've got a house you've got a family you've got all the things that and yet one feels this emptiness and this dread i think that's a very relatable thing, thing right? for, in these yeah, times in these I mean, times yeah. and i i think that was what we were trying to focus on and of course it's to do with being a man because he's a man but I don't think hopefully the film is something that many people could find something in we we alluded to this earlier in terms of kind of exposing yourself in interviews and, and such and I was talking about how you know you expose yourself as an actor I mean it does strike me like my sense is you're a, a mild-mannered guy, and yet through your performances, I've seen you play all sorts of different types. And like, was that from the start when you when you start, first started acting? Did you find it a cathartic uh, vessel for you, a way for you to kind of channel the emotions that were bottled up? I think so. Yeah, I do think so. I'm not a mild-mannered guy at all. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm a complete <laughs> maniac. I'm much more like the guy in the film. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you for playing the role of mild-mannered Ben Wishaw for me today. Yeah, I, I, is that, well, no, what do I mean? I think, you know, it, I think we have all of us many sides, don't we? Yeah. And many people inside of us, and... Um, I can't remember what your question was. That's quite, okay. Well, yeah. it, it also dovetails with the many sides of your career, which is that the next time we're going to probably see you on the big screen is in the next Bond film. Yes. Um, yep. This is going to be Daniel Craig's last outing. We know yeah. that. Was there a sense of finality on the set, a sense that let's leave it all on the table? and Yeah, there was definitely a sense of finality, mm-hmm. um, which I have to say I, was, I found sort of... <laughs> weirdly moving because I've done three film three films with, well I've done three Bond films with Daniel and before that I'd done three other films with him so I've done six movies with him now and I don't know it was just sort of moving to see him bring that journey to uh, close and um, do you get caught up in the 
the constant Bond talk about who should be the next Bond? Does it matter to you? Do you have a a, a, a feeling on man, well, woman, etc.? I think I think I don't have anything to say except I think a, something really different to will be the right thing. You I know? agree, right. I you don't want to imitate what Daniel did. You couldn't possibly imitate Daniel, and if it was like Daniel was a reaction to Pierce Brosnan before him. Right. So I think it should swing somewhere else, and that could be any number of things. But And I'll be intrigued as much as anybody to see what that would be. I'm also in- intrigued to see you in uh, the hands of Noah Hawley. Uh, yeah. Fargo, I'm a big fan of that series. Um, he seems like quite an intellect and quite a, a, an interesting uh, filmmaker and TV creator. Mm. Uh, what was the experience like on Fargo? Well, it's still ongoing. We're still, I'm, I'm leave here tomorrow to go back to carry on shooting it. So still very much in the middle of it. But mm. um, goodness, he's, he really is one of the most uh, intelligent people I've ever worked with yeah. in terms of how he can hold so many uh, ideas, story strands together in his mind. Um, and, yeah, he's a real thinker, a real, um, almost a, a philosopher. Too, wasn't he yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He, he is a novelist, yeah. And um, something, and there's, this, there's something about his work that's very novelistic, very, each character is really rich yeah. and um, always complicated right. and um, I, I, I absolutely love the show Fargo and I absolutely yeah. adore this particular uh, season, I think it's it's really beautiful and very different to the, to the, the, the three before it. I'm, I'm fascinated of being a lifelong Star Trek fan that he's apparently going to do the I next know. Star Trek film. To see what Noah Hawley's take on a Star Trek film is, I'm like, that's speaking my interest. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, me too. I'm... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I had a little chat with him about oh. it. But, and it sounds very interesting, very exciting. Oh, yeah. I didn't need more encouragement, but I'm even more excited now. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't know if you'll be able to contribute to this, considering this is your first Sundance, but the name of this podcast is The Festival Rules. So what we're trying to do is convey to the audience at home that don't have the privileged position that you and I have to be at a film festival, what it's like to experience something like this. You've been to other festivals, though. Mm-hmm. Is there a rule that you would impart to people, a, a way to enjoy a festival? Um, well, my feeling about them is that they're very um, heightened experiences and everyone's a little... Um, what's the word? I find them overwhelming. Yeah. I find the energy of them overwhelming. You bump into a million people that you know who are all here trying to promote their films. They're, they're very creative, but a little giddy. Yes. That's how it feels to me. I feel a little, and plus we're so high up, the altitude is driving everyone completely bananas. Everybody's so a little bit mad. Yeah, it's trying, you're trying to keep yourself grounded and right. present. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck staying present for the premiere of Surge. Uh, are you going to be okay watching yourself on screen? Or is I won't get gonna... to see it this time, but I'm looking forward to seeing this film just because, as I say, it was it was such a personal thing that I made with my dear friend yeah. Anil and I that's n- that's a new thing for me so I'm I feel very I feel very what's the word I feel very um protective of it I yeah. feel uh, and it's a little film you know a, a, about a small moment really in someone's life so I I uh 
have a great deal of love for it. Well, as I said before, I'm, I'm always a fan of what you uh, bring to the stage or screen, and this performance, like many others, uh, is, is, is a great one. So Thank you very much. Ben, Thank you, Josh. To Lovely to meet you. That was my chat with Ben Wishaw, once again, starring in Surge. That about wraps up our episode, Ben. I want to throw in one more festival rule. If you're going to have dinner, make a reservation. Otherwise, oh. you're going to be walking all over town looking for a bite to eat. Dude, this is an exceptional rule. I mean, Sundance specific, absolutely. Sun- Park City is a small town, and it reaches capacity, especially Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. Those are the key nights of the festival, Saturday and Sunday especially. And you can find yourself wandering for hours, searching desperately for food, as we have in the past. Excuse me, excuse me, uh, table for two, possibly? Yes, it'll be a six-hour wait. <laughs> Uh, Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to the Festival Rules. We'll see you guys on the next one.